Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saving Minds, the podcast that uncovers the best of what's new in the search for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease treatments. I'm Shanti Skiffington, your co-host. And I'm Dr. Elliot Goldstein, your other co-host. Today, we're welcoming one of our favorite guests, Dr. Jim Kupik, who is going to share new information about a diagnostic test for Alzheimer's disease. Jim, thank you for coming back and joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So uh, the whole notion of diagnostic testing for Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. disease is just blows my mind. And it seems it would completely change the way this disease is managed. What's your feeling on this? Tell us about it. Well, I I think so. I agree, Shanti. Um, All of us would like to have a test for Alzheimer's disease that is highly specific, accurate, uh, reproducible, also scalable in the sense that the test can be easily and widely performed. A precise blood-based diagnostic test, for example, could potentially serve as an effective population screening tool and ultimately be incorporated into clinical practice. We're getting much closer, but the problem is that such a diagnostic test does not exist today. But the AD research community is working very hard to develop such a test because the benefits are so great. Um, I got an example for you. Let's say a mother and daughter come into my medical practice and the complaint from the daughter centers around her mother's forgetfulness and behavioral changes. She's 75 years old. As I take the history, I'm formulating and revising in my mind uh, a series of hypotheses as to what might be the cause of these symptoms based upon my internal medicine training, based upon my having seen tens of thousands of patients during the course of my career. I ask questions. I try and narrow down the various diagnostic options. I then conduct a thorough neurologic exam, and that includes a bunch of memory, and cognitive assessments. I may suspect, based upon the patient's age and presentation, that she has early Alzheimer's disease. Then I have to consider whether any additional laboratory testing may be helpful. When I trained many years ago, we were taught to rule out treatable causes of cognitive dysfunction. These would include things like hypothyroidism, vitamin B12 deficiency, neurosyphilis, depression, normal pressure hydrocephalus, multiple small strokes due to hypertension, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. We could never definitively rule in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, just rule out other possibilities. Even as not so long ago, as 10 to 15 years ago, when we had pretty sophisticated memory and cognitive tests, experts in Alzheimer's disease, even at that time, could only make the correct diagnosis 65 to 75% of the time. If we had a test that could accurately make the diagnosis, let's say 95% of the time or greater, it would represent an absolutely huge advance for physicians. Instead of ruling out Alzheimer's disease, we could rule it in. So, So getting back to your question, being correct in diagnosing Alzheimer's disease will be critical in just a few years, in particular when the first disease modifying drugs are approved by regulatory authorities. We've discussed here on the podcast before at Academy. And it's still likely, in my view, that Biogen will secure FDA approval for aducatumab by late next year. The next disease-modifying medicine, a, a drug that would appear to be a bit better than aducatumab, is called BAN2401, B-A-N-2401. And it's now in phase three testing, and it could be available one to two years after aducatumab. Once physicians have confidence in a highly accurate diagnostic test and there are disease-modifying drugs available, then the test could be used to screen patients even before major symptoms present. 
For example, wow. the, the daughter of the patient I just described, she's afraid she herself may develop Alzheimer's disease. She saw her father die from it, and she may want the test to see if she could benefit from a new cutting-edge medicine. So basically, so, it gets people the treatment they need. And sorry to interrupt. It no, basically no, will, will speed access to treatment for more people. That's very true. And, and the one major point you have to understand is that Alzheimer's disease is a neuropathologic process that takes 20 to 30 years to develop. The brain is filled with misfolded protein clusters, which lead to the dementia. So a simple population-based tool that can locate these patients well in advance of having cognitive or dementia problems, um, these tools will have a profound effect on the health of our society if we have, in parallel, medicines that can make a real difference. That, that was a really interesting uh, uh, discussion, Jim. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, as we see when therapies become available in, in you know, chronic diseases where there's really significant unmet need, like in the dementias you just talked mm-hmm. about, we saw the same in multiple sclerosis, actually, in my own experience, as products actually came to market that mm-hmm. really made a difference and weren't just sort of steroid-like, you know, anti-inflammatories and that sort of thing. It spurred really two developments, uh, a real drive for my di- diagnosis. Patients mm-hmm. needed and wanted to be diagnosed, you know, ruling in and ruling out, as you said, because therapy was available. So I think you make an excellent point mm-hmm. that is uh, aducanumab and ultimately others hit the market potentially in the, in the relatively near future, the demand for these kind of quality tests will go up. So without Absolutely. diving too deep into the technical details, mm-hmm. Jim, tell me a bit more about so what, what do you envisage, as, as especially a blood-based uh-huh. uh, diagnostic test or test? What, what's really hot? What's coming up that's going to make the difference? Yeah. So that's a key question. And then the uh, devil truly is in the details. Uh, can we develop something that's simple, but highly accurate and use it across a large population? Right. So as you know, Elliot, the correct diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease is ultimately based upon demonstrating its neuropathology. There's right. two types of misfolded protein clusters seen in post-mortem studies of brains from patients with Alzheimer's disease. We call them amyloid plaques and tau tangles. You need to have both of them in order to have Alzheimer's disease. They are the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease, and any accurate diagnostic test needs to demonstrate that in the living patient who is sitting in your examination room, that this patient has these pathologic abnormalities in their brain tissue. So we have all sorts of tests that we've developed over the years, which give us insights into Alzheimer's disease. For example, we have high-resolution MRI. It's a $2,000 test, but it shows brain shrinkage but not the misfolded protein clusters. They, they, have, they might have a disease other than Alzheimer's disease, to your point. We could conduct a lumbar puncture and secure cerebral spinal fluid in order to measure the levels of these amyloid and tau proteins that leak from brain cells into the CSF. The test is obviously invasive, but it also requires a lot of training experience to do it. And for that reason, we just can't use such a complicated, time-consuming test for the general population. Uh, a lot of discussion about PET imaging scans that you've seen in numerous articles and, in fact, even newspaper articles, and they can show these protein clusters once they reach a certain threshold. Unfortunately, each scan costs upwards of $5,000, and the limited availability of this detection method clearly hampers its widespread use as a diagnostic tool for clinical practice and, and to some degree, even clinical trials. However, to your point, over the last couple of years, data from a large number of studies suggests that new ultra-sensitive blood-based biomarkers for the amyloid and tau that leak from the brain into the bloodstream 
they can now be measured with high accuracy. This is this is really a very hot and exciting field of research. But the tools are not quite ready yet for widespread use. Yeah, I don't want to dive too deeply into details, but I have to mention what I mean by high accuracy. You've probably heard physicians oftentimes use terms like sensitivity, specificity, false positive, false negative when talking about the precision or accuracy of a test. And in fact, even just reading the newspapers recently about COVID-19 diagnostic and serologic tests, these words are being used all the time. The sensitivity of a test indicates how likely a test is to detect a condition when it's actually present in a patient. So when a test's sensitivity is high, approaching 100%, it's less likely to give a false negative. Therefore, a positive is a positive. The test is highly specific when it rules out the presence of a disease in someone who doesn't actually have it. In other words, a negative is a negative. So when a test does not have a very high specificity, it gives a high number of what we call false positives. For diseases like Alzheimer's disease, cancers, patients that I've diagnosed with AIDS in the past, one does not want a test that has an associated high level of false positives or false negatives. It has to have very high specificity, very high sensitivity, approaching 100% each if possible. Otherwise, you can imagine how profoundly devastating an incorrect diagnosis can be for both the patient and the family. Jim, Which, thanks. That, that that was really an important uh, uh, discussion point you raised. Um, but let's assume then that in the relatively mm-hmm. near future, a cost-effective, high-quality, blood-based diagnostic test or tests mm-hmm. will be available. Um, who would be appropriate for this kind of diagnostic test, at least initially as they first mm-hmm. come out? Um, what what's, Is there a key core population that really would benefit the most? Or or what's your view? So, Elliot, as as you well know, the neuropathology of Alzheimer's disease can take 20 to 30 years to develop. So you can see the value of a diagnostic test at various time points along this continuum. Right. For example, the patient that I described initially, having some level of cognitive dysfunction, that would be an ideal patient in order to screen with a diagnostic test because perhaps in the primary care office, you may want to then refer that patient to a specialist clinic for more further and refined diagnosis as well as therapy. Um, You can also use a test to differentiate Alzheimer's disease from other neurodegenerative disorders. So you can be more precise. You could identify individuals in the very early stages of their disease before any abnormal cognitive deficits can be measured. We call this preclinical AD. Um, From my clinical trial perspective, I can ensure that patients who are being enrolled in trials actually have the Alzheimer's disease and not something else. Um, If the diagnostic test is uh, not only good for diagnosis, but also monitoring the effect of investigational therapies, then I can use that as part of my clinical trial um, biomarker assessment. Um, There are patients who have genetic propensity to develop Alzheimer's disease, such as Down syndrome, and a test could be used in order to assess them before they actually become symptomatic. And then finally, I think um, in large populations, you could, and when I buy large populations, I'm talking about 
tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, you can potentially evaluate the environmental and genetic risk factors associated with Alzheimer's disease. So a very accurate, simple diagnostic test could have significant utility across a large number of patient or potential patient populations. Okay. Um, obviously, very exciting prospects. Um, in your answer uh, mm-hmm. and this, this last discussion, uh, you mentioned possible you know, application in, uh, of, of, of newer, of high-quality, convenient, mm-hmm. cost-effective, re- easily repeatable, I think, important too, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, diagnostic tests. So let's talk a little bit more about the research setting, especially clinical trials and uh, product, drug development, which of course is what everyone's looking for, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Especially as we know, aducanumab, which could be first to market, we anticipate that, is has a modest, moderate to modest effect. So obviously improvements in next generations are going to be exciting. Tell us a bit more <laughs> of how the availability of, of, of a test with the features you described could speed access to new therapies and allow us to make better go-no-go decisions about which products to develop, which ones not to develop. Yeah. You have to understand the impact of the lack of a diagnostic test on clinical trial conduct. Um, 15 years ago, we didn't have really any right, right. at all that we could use to help refine who was involved and who was enrolled in a clinical trial and who was not. Then about 10 years ago, we began to use PET imaging in order to find patients who actually had amyloid of a certain amount in their brain tissue. And that helped us be more, I think, specific about having real patients with Alzheimer's disease in our clinical studies in order to test whether or not investigational therapy truly worked or did not work in this in this population. That's really what it's all about. The problem with imaging tests is it really delayed the recruitment of patients into the study. There were a limited number of sites. They could do a limited number of PET scans in any one particular day. Um, trials just dragged on and they cost a huge amount of money. By having a simple diagnostic test, trials will be much shorter, much less expensive, and you will reach a decision point as to whether or not your drug works or does not work much earlier on. It will completely change the way that we do clinical trials and assess the potential for new disease-modifying therapies. We'll know very quickly if a drug is working or not working, and if it doesn't work, then we can go back to the lab, bring a different compound forward and test that one in the same population over and over again. So much higher throughput, so to speak, in clinical trials until we actually can find the right drugs that really do the job and do it well. So what's clear to me, Jim, from this Mm -hmm. great discussion is that not only will an Alzheimer's diagnostic Mm -hmm. test help identify more patients, maybe stratify those patients for either Alzheimer's therapy or therapy for another kind of neurodegenerative disease, but an Alzheimer's diagnostic will also be used to help expedite research, um, Mm -hmm. helping accelerate access to new therapies and better therapies. So exciting on on all fronts. Mm -hmm. How long will it take for researchers to have access to this kind of test? Mm. Well, researchers are working on it right now as we speak. Uh, There's quite a bit of active... um, study work going on, looking at the various biomarkers that are available. Um, There are some ones that look very exciting and very, very promising. Uh, There are reports both in the literature as well as reports at the major medical meetings that are going on as we speak 
that are talking about very high sensitivities and specificities, as we talked about a little while ago with these various biomarker tests. And I would not be surprised at all if um, over the next one to two years, uh, these tests um, gain uh, quite a bit of support from regulatory authorities like the FDA and are allowed to be used as diagnostic tests, both in the general clinical uh, population as aducatumab is um, approved and marketed. But also, I think, very exciting for me, um, it allows us to be far more um, precise and specific in our clinical trial work in order to get just the right patients in the studies, in order to test the next generation of of disease-modifying agents. So that's what I'm really excited about, and the whole field is quite excited also, as you can tell from all the all the the discussion and uh, debate that we have at these medical meetings. Yes, well, it's it's certainly a very hot topic and one that I'm sure we'll be reading more about as the media continues to report on developments. So thank you, Jim, once again for translating all of the information for us um, into an uh-huh. easily to understand format. And we really enjoyed having you and hope you'll come back again. Oh, thanks so much. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Great to have you on the podcast.